You're listening to a curated podcast from the Beyond Infinity radio program broadcast live on Tuesdays from 11am from our Mornington studios in Victoria, Australia. Presented by me, Piers Cunningham. And me, John Young. So I've got a couple of bee specialists in the studio talking with us today about bees. One is Ben Moore of Ben's Bees and the other is Simon Mulvaney from Save the Bees Australia. Let's go back to Europe. Were there any encouraging things coming out of Europe? You would have taken in quite a lot of different methods and and the way that beekeepers do their stuff in those six countries you visited. You know, were there any sort of real surprises, eye openers, or is Europe quite self-sufficient for honey production, or does it does it import? And if so, from where? That's interesting, Pierce. They have the same problems we do here in Australia. So in Europe, they, they import honey. And it's also coming in from China, and they're trying to ban it as well. Okay. So they have that problem. So there, but it's all about the awareness, and that's what's good about social media and so forth is people becoming aware and it's amazing to see i uh, met this uh, french uh, lad in uh, paris and he's starting up his own little company and he's buying small tesian amounts of honey from various uh, beekeepers and he's selling this honey to people in paris and it's giving that real connection from being a beekeeper to the actual honey, to the consumer. And, and it's all about the awareness. You know, mm. People are now becoming more and more aware. And that's once again what's good about social media. You very kindly gave me a jar of Ben's Bees honey, pure honey, and this is from Blackburn in Victoria. And I've noticed myself, we were over in South Australia at a place called Robe recently, and you could buy Kangaroo Island honey. And that was really nice honey. Also, Beechworth up in uh, northern Victoria, up in, the, up in the sort of foothills of the mountains. Uh, that's another place which is pretty well known for, for very high quality honey. And I think people appreciate it. I think people are realizing that there is a difference. Where, and people use it for a variety of things. I mean, I put, I put honey in tea. For example, you know, I have, I have black tea with, with a bit of honey in it. But I just think that there is this, you're talking about awareness, but I think there's, the, there's a real appreciation of high quality honey around the world. And it sounds like the same thing applies in Europe. I think people, you know, even, even in places like Paris where, mm. where there are probably cheaper alternatives available in supermarkets, but actually going for sort of a niche product that's handcrafted, which is great to hear. What sort of measures can the Europeans take to deal with the mite that you've been talking about? Well, they're sort of working on a little bit of genetics, and that's producing uh, or line breeding a hygienic bee. So what basically this bee will do is it'll be far better at cleaning each other, cleaning themselves and cleaning the hive. The little mite is a parasite, and it'll suck and attach itself on to the bees. The more hygienic the bees are, the better they'll actually do. So, yes, just cleaning each other. So they're working on that, obviously, with line breeding. The other treatment is using oxalic acid, which is it's deemed as organic over there. It's basically a vaporizer. What it does is it's not good for the bees, but it doesn't kill bees, but it does agitate them. And what it does is it basically burns the legs off the varroa mite. So, yeah, so, yeah, exactly, yeah. But um, as far as, yeah, they've just got to deal with it because there is no way to eradicate it. As of yet. One, one thing Ben said just before we came in here was also their bees are a lot more vicious than the ones we have here. And so they naturally had to become more aggressive to cope with the varroa mite. Yeah, that was, that was super interesting. Hmm. Like we can work with our bees in Australia quite often or not. You know, in our jocks. Um, not that I actually do that. Uh, but, you know, I mean, they can be actually that calm over there. 
geez, I was getting stung through my suit. Really? You know, I mean, they were feisty. They were a feisty bee. A different variety of bees. Yeah, it's, yeah well, it's a different subspecies. It a... So it was the Apis mellifera. Got four subspecies here. So they're all the same species, but they were feisty bees. Yeah, they really, a few times I, I got a couple of, a couple of stings. Okay. And do they still have a big problem with European wasps in Europe? Because I remember when I was there in certain parts of Europe, you just, you know, there were, there were no go zones. There were like, you know, you might try to an outdoor restaurant or something in summer and you just couldn't be outside. Like these things were just there and they were crawling all over you. Do they affect bee populations? Yeah, that, well, they, they do. That's another thing. The European wasp will attack bees. But the good news is over in Europe, because of the cold temperatures, they die over winter. Okay. So we have more of a problem here in Australia with the, uh, the European wasp. Really? Uh, yeah, right. just because of our mild winters. Okay. And the colonies can get bigger and bigger and bigger. I think the biggest colony uh, that was um, discovered was in Tasmania. It's in the Launceston Museum. Right. And it weighs 93 kilos. Wow. And it's the size of a small car. Wow. Uh, where over there they just die. And it's only the queens that can go through the hibernation throughout winter. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I would have thought if they don't like cold winters, they wouldn't. You'd reckon they wouldn't like Tasmania that much. No, like, that's right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Australia, but obviously you're talking. We're talking you know, snow, really sub zero, sub zero. Yeah, yeah. Yep. It sounds like a, a really interesting trip. Any other any other highlights of the European trip you just did? The best thing is the connection with beekeepers. You know, beekeepers, whether in Australia, anywhere in Europe. Yeah, it was absolutely amazing. I met some really good people and made some lifelong friends. And you know what? At the end of the day, we're all on the same page. You know, we, we want to look after our bees. That was absolutely brilliant to see these amazing beekeepers. Just absolutely, their passion for bees, and that goes for you know people like myself and Simon. You know, just having this passion mm. for this tiny little insect. I guess with beekeeping and producing honey from beehives, there's a lot of tradition, a lot of pretty sort of well-established methods that they like to stick to. Uh, yeah, absolutely, they're traditionalist, and it, it's like a tradition the way they've looked after bees. Smoke's really sacred to them. What the herbs they use and the way they do it. I think I saw. Ben put up a picture of tobacco to be used in your smoker and they actually used to use their pipes to do the smoking <laughs> rather than traditional smokers. Yeah, that, that, that's right. So it was really uh, cool to see. And also too there, some beekeepers keep bees in skeps. We're dealing with something that goes back sort of 2,000 years. Okay, what's uh, a skep? Oh, so skep is basically, it's a cane basket. It's upside down and the bees behave naturally inside this cane basket as opposed to a beehive where you can remove the frames. Okay. Uh, so the, the honey is extracted from the outside. It's crushed and strained. And there, there are still some beekeepers over there doing this really traditional way of keeping bees. So mm. unfortunately in Australia, it's against our um, open code of conduct just because you can't remove the frames and inspect it. Um, but they're a beautiful looking hive. It was, it was quite interesting. Tell it? me about the the Apia Code of Conduct. Well, one of the things in the Code of Conduct, it does differ for different regions. but in, Within Australia? Yeah, like in, in Western Australia, it's a little bit different. But okay. yeah, to, to keep bees in frames is, is one of the things that you have to do. There are different hives, but by having frames, an inspector can come along and inspect whether you've got disease or not in your hive quite easily. Ben and I both do removals. Obviously, the feral hives that we come across aren't kept in frames. But so quite often, it's quite a messy job to look in and see how the hive's going. So that's the reason they do that. What are the hot issues that you see facing the beekeeping industry around the world? We've mentioned the, the mite. We've mentioned Confidor. We've mentioned um, Roundup. What other th- you know, important issues would you like to tell people about? 
I think it's sort of about the, the importation of honey. People want to know that they're buying something pure. As far as honey, you know, it's sort of 20% of my business, but quite often not, I run out of honey and I'm happy to tell people, sorry, I've got no honey. So what happens is, you know, people start exploiting the bees. Yep. Uh, so I think that's important that people really, they find a beekeeper and they really get in touch with them and know how they look after their bees and buy local, just don't buy from overseas. And there are some of these great, as we'd mentioned before, there's just lots of these sort of smaller producers, little regions, whether it's Kangaroo Island or Beechworth or elsewhere, that just seem to have some great products for people to, to get hold of. I think Leatherwood Honey has won the best honey in the world a couple of years. And really? That's a plant in Tasmania and Tasmania have got a particularly healthy beekeeping industry yeah. and they have got more isolation than the mainland so that's one area that probably won't have varroa mite for a long time we hope what else can you do with honey i mean i've actually been looking at ben's website there's quite a few you know beeswax and soap are both mentioned there consumer products derived from beeswax what do you use I, it for i tell you what's becoming incredibly popular is producing a beeswax wraps so basically that's a substitute for plastic so as opposed yeah. to having plastic uh, i think the average um person in a, in a household environment the average person is 60 kilos of wasted plastic per year yeah. now what's happening is, is is this fantastic invention it's been around for quite a quite a while and it's a beeswax wrap so you can make them yourself uh, at home i do sell them but it's easy enough to make and it's beeswax jojoba oil and pine rosin and it's melted together and you dip some cotton cloth in there yep. and that then becomes a reusable form of glad wrap. And I think it was what people used before glad wrap became popular. You know, back in the day, 100 years ago, 70 years ago, people used this and you just reuse it. And That's that right, went piece. over yeah. something that was open that was put in the fridge. That's a great application and it's good to hear that you can actually do it yourself, which is a nice... Yeah, exactly. Yep, and then you can obviously got your candles, soap. So this is infused into soap or it's, it's pure... Yeah, uh, no, so it's actually mixed. To create soap, you use, it's a chemical process called saponification and you, you put wax in there as well after the um, the process and what that does is it gives it that sort of really good quality so for, for your skin. So it really uh, makes it uh, nice and smooth yep. and it bubbles up nice and uh, it's, yeah, beeswax is really good. So cosmetics are massive with the beeswax industry mm. and Australians' beeswax is particularly sought after. Mm. But there was an article written the other day in, by the ABC and it's up to $30 a kilo now, Australian beeswax for retail. There was one company complaining. They make, I think, beard conditioner out of the wax and they might not be able to continue if their price goes up much higher. There's lots of reasons why we should be protecting our local beekeeping industry and and, uh, trying to reduce the use of bad chemicals in the environment, not just for the protection of bees. I think just for, you said these things are carcinogenic, so they've got human health implications as well. Mm. And they also hang around. That's the other thing that I wasn't aware of with things like Confidor and, and Roundup, that those chemicals are actually staying, you know, they're, they're in probably the majority of people's sheds or, you know, in their garden storage areas. So it'd be a while before these things are actually eliminated, even with awareness being mm. raised. Exactly. And uh, the, the common phrase the people at the APVMA say is people have to use them as directed. Mm. and we just know that the average person isn't always as careful as mm. or, or read the fine mm. things in the label one of the things particularly neonicotinoids are bad with is aquatic creatures like tadpoles and frogs right 
and obviously we know all the other species that eat insects like birds and bats Mm. so it can really wipe out the whole food chain talking to ben moore from ben's bees you can go to uh, ben's website it's just bensbees.com.au and also simon mulvaney from save the bees australia simon has a website as well it's be the thanks for listening and head to beyondinfinity.com.au for the best bits from the live show or to connect with us on social media we welcome your feedback and suggestion for future shows